0: Good morning, church, and good morning to all of you in our online community. Thank you for joining us. And before we go any further, I uh, mentioned to you last week that uh, Luke and Shelby were due any time. Well, they're no longer pregnant. They have now given birth. Well, let me clarify. She gave birth, okay? Um, Yeah, to uh, a little boy. And his name is Grayson James Alver, And so he was born on September 30th at 11.37 p.m. So almost October 1st, but not quite there. So we're super excited for them. And I know the guys are going, that's great. And the women are going, wait, don't we have any more information? Like 19 and a half inches long or seven pounds, 14 ounces. Healthy baby. So mom and baby and dad are all doing great. And uh, so we congratulate them, and like I tell every couple when they have their first kid, now you're married. <laughs> now you're married. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I could do that because I'm an old man, and you know, old men have those sayings. So you know, whatever. All right. I'm gonna ask you a question. I want you to think about it for less than 10 seconds because it'll probably come really quick. Do you have a favorite restaurant? If you had to think about the restaurant that you want to go to. Price is no, no issues. so it doesn't have to be an anniversary or any of that. Just your favorite restaurant. Can you can you think of that? You got that in your mind? Okay, usually we do. And usually when we think of that, we think of dinner. Very rarely somebody say, yeah, the amazing breakfasts. So it's usually a dinner thing. Now, if I ask you the follow-up, I say, okay, you got a favorite restaurant. Why? Then you'll probably go on and tell me, oh, because they have the best, steak ever, or they have the best pasta or lasagna ever, or they have the best soft taco, whatever your thing is, you'll quickly transition from the restaurant to the actual meal, that it's the best ever, right? So we all have those. We even do what-if games. If you're stranded on a desert island, what would you do? So we have that, and that's a reality of how we live. Now here, this may be a surprise to you, um, to know that... Jesus has actually recommended the best meal ever to be eaten, and it's not because of how it tastes, because of what it does. In other words, eating this meal has to do with eternity, and eternity is at stake whether you eat this meal or not. So in a very interesting metaphorical way, Jesus describes what it means to become a Christian based on a meal. And so we're going to look at that meal this morning. I've entitled this morning's message, The Best Meal Ever, How to Become a Christian According to Jesus, How to Become a Christian According to Jesus. John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59, as we've been working our study through the gospel of John, and you know that Jesus, if you've been with us, Jesus has been... uh, preaching to a crowd. The crowd first started on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where there was a miracle that he performed. Uh, he fed the 5,000 plus people from a little kid's lunch. And of course, that rumor spread. This crowd is politically motivated. They wanted to prop Jesus up as king. So he talked about politics for a couple of weeks. The crowd moved all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee following him because he left and went back to his home base, which is Capernaum, which is where Peter lived. And so we pick it up where Jesus is actually in a synagogue in Capernaum, and he's talking to this crowd about eternal life, and he's using this metaphor of bread, um, in ingesting bread. Uh, Just back it up a verse to last week as a final verse last week that we talked about. Jesus said, "I'm the bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this of this bread, he will live forever." That's eternity speaking. And the bread that I give, I will give, for the life of the world is my flesh. That was a little switch right there. All of a sudden, we're talking about flesh. Now, that's a reference to his body, right? Flesh and blood. Remember in John 1, verse 14, or verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Drop your eyes down to verse 14, and the Word became flesh, body, and dwelt among us. So this is a reference to the body of Christ. So it's a a startling statement about Jesus being this bread that needs to be eaten, but this bread is actually his body. Now you look at the next verse, and it was startling enough to cause the Jews to start a dispute. They started arguing. That was different than last week. Last week, they started grumbling Okay, But now they're starting to argue among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So they're thinking cannibalism. They're thinking, this is getting pretty weird here. Um, how, how does that work? And at this point, <laughs> you would think Jesus would go, okay, uh, they're not getting it. Um, let's, let's back off the metaphor here. Let's, let's tell them, hey, this is symbolic. He doubles down. Look at the next verse. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, here's a critical truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. <laughs> now, in fairness to the crowd, if I were to say that right now, Like, you know, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'd be like, he lost it. He's gone. He's old. Now he's gone. (laughs) But don't forget the mindset of the Jewish people. So this idea of blood, first of all, okay, Jewish mindset, it was built, uh, how far do I want? Israel was a theocracy, which means God was the center. And so you look at like Exodus 20, you see the Big Ten. Those would be, quote, their constitution. And so they had a sacrificial system that was installed. Um, And if you remember in verse 4 of chapter 6, when we started talking about this, it was Passover season. And so Passover for the Jews was a celebration back to way back when they were just... They were delivered from Egyptian bondage as slaves. And if you remember, God sent his uh, wrath, basically, over Egypt. And if you had that blood over your doorpost, you were preserved anyway, 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 moving forward. So the sacrificial system, they sacrificed at Passover. They had multiple holidays because of their perspective of the blood. The blood, they viewed, as life-giving. And so if you sacrificed... A life, it would cover or atone for your sin. And this is a system that they had. If you remember, that's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, that sacrificial lamb is going to be so significant, it atones for everybody's sin. Okay, This is the Jewish mindset. It's not ours. We don't have a sacrificial system. We're not used to thinking that way they are. But when he talks about Unless you eat the flesh, um, there's a consequence there. In other words, if you don't, there's a consequence. If you do, there's a consequence. But then he goes on and say, and drink his blood. Now that would have been forbidden by the Jews. Yes, they sacrificed and believed life was in the blood, but they would never drink it. Genesis 3 talks about it. Leviticus 3 talks about it. Leviticus uh, 17, well, I'll just read to you. Leviticus 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar, the sacrifices, to make atone for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood, okay? That's something that pagans did, that's not something they would do. And Jesus is saying, unless you do both of those, you have no life in you. So, at first blush, it sounds like kind of a Jeffrey Dahmer illustration, right? You're going, this is cannibalism, this is creepy. In fact, uh, (laughs) sidebar, If you go to Rome today, and you visit the catacombs, which were the underground tombs in in the Roman city, uh, they're not there anymore, but it's, it's a myriad of tunnels, miles of tunnels underground in Rome, and the reason they were there is that's where they would bury their dead. Well, because Christians were persecuted, they would actually conduct church down in the catacombs, because the Roman guards or anything, they wouldn't go down into that creepy place. And then when verses like this came along, they really viewed Christians as creepy, like having little cannibalistic rituals down in the catacombs, not gonna go down there, was their perspective. So that's extra credit, but I thought I would throw that in. But what's what's important to know, and we don't get this summary right now, we get it later in the chapter. In verse 63 of chapter six, Jesus says this, these words I have spoken, which includes these, I have spoken to you our spirit and life. They're not literal. We're not talking about literally eating my flesh because you'd have to kill me. We're not talking about you literally draining my blood. Uh, that's not what we're doing here. These are spiritual metaphors. And he tells the crowd that based on this meal, if you will, as kind of creepy as it sounds... Based on this approach is how you become a Christian. And I want you to think about this illustration for a second, because it, it actually holds. So when you eat something, think about it, you look at a plate, or whatever, you look at the food, and you make a decision about that food. First of all, you go, does it look right? Right? You might, uh, if you're looking at your favorite steak, go, is it cooked enough? Or, you know, whatever. You look at it, and you go, that looks right. Then what's the next deal? Then you cut it, and you get ready to what? Accept it, and by faith, literally, because you never saw it cooked, you never saw it butchered, in this case meat. We could go to anything else, vegetarian, doesn't matter. You, You look at it, and you say, this looks good to me. I'll take it, and I'll eat it, and when you put it in your mouth, you start to taste it, and when you swallow, you fully give yourself over to the food. So much so that you can't back up, right? we talk about food poisoning or whatever, we say, yeah, I must have eaten something. Well, once you ate that something, you can't can't back up. You're you're all in, 100%. Now think about that metaphor, it relates to Jesus. You look at the Lord, you see what it is, and you make a decision, this looks good. I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna swallow it, I'm gonna ingest it, I'm gonna accept it. And as a result, just like food keeps me alive, this meal will keep me spiritually alive. I put it this way, how to become a Christian according to Jesus, number one in your outline, you must fully surrender to him. And that's really what this illustration is about. When you think about it, when you eat something, you essentially surrender yourself to the food. And that's, that's the illustration that Jesus is trying to push through. That to become a Christian requires trust, acceptance, receptivity, and surrender. It's a volitional decision, just like it is to eat. And it's something you decide to do or not do. Paul describes it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll you'll live forever. You'll go to heaven. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So this is an issue of Paul doesn't use the eating metaphor. He just talks about the heart and and just how it's got to be deep. It's got to be this full surrender. It's got to be this full trust, this full faith. And if we do that, that's going to result in a confession that says, it's not just private, it's not held in. It's who I am, best meal ever, right? And then that's how you become a Christian. Now, maybe a metaphor like this will help, marriage. Think about it. Think about the difference between dating and saying I do. It's a very different commitment. Dating, you're just, to mix metaphors, moving the food around on the plate. Checking it out. Seeing if you like it or not. What's the price? (laughs) Maybe I do, maybe I don't. Sniffing around. Right, I mean that's what dating is and it's very different to walk the aisle so to speak, stand before God and witnesses and say I do that's why we date because when we say I do we want to make sure we do and don't same thing can happen with God you can date God you can sniff around you can go to church go to a small group Put your kids in the children's ministry. Have a donut. Sing. Date. But it's a very different decision to say, I do. I fully surrender to you, Lord. Not to Christianity, but to Christ. It's so personal that he says it's eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And so those are the deeper issues. Now, we might say, well, you must fully surrender to him. You know me, I'm always questioning stuff. How do I know if I fully surrendered? I mean, really, how do I know? Well, I cried. Okay. Could you cry more? Yeah, guess I could. Longer? Sure. Um, I said it out loud. Did you mean it? I think so. How do you know? How do I know if I said I do? Because, you know, your metaphor breaks down market marriage because now we got a marriage license we have people that have witnessed it we have a signed license that's registered with the state of california all i got to do is look in the file and say i'm married doesn't matter if i feel married or not i'm married what about when it comes to i do to god how does that work glad you asked it's a great question that jesus deals with it look at the next verse Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is to true drink. <laughs> I love it, man, because he's just going. He's not... Um, so true food, true drink, uh, true really means it's real. In other words, this stuff will make a difference. This isn't just food, drink, like every other food, drink, in terms of how you're thinking about it. Again, obviously they're not gonna eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood, but he says when you compare my flesh, my blood, what, my meal that I'm offering to you, it's gonna make a difference. It's, it's, it's the truth. But you may not have noticed this, but he shifts in the terms he uses. In prior verse, he talks about um, unless you eat the flesh. Okay. Sometimes grammar makes a difference. Sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it does. The word eat there is an errorist tense, which means what? It, there's a lot of tenses in Greek. There's present tense. There's errorist tense. There's passive. There's future. There's all these tenses and, and genders and all this. But in an errorist tense, it's, it's a past thing and it's one and done. It's not an ongoing thing. Okay, that's the tense. Unless you eat one time, sit down at the meal one time, then whatever. Now he shifts to whoever feeds on my flesh. And that's different. That's a participle. That's not a verb. So that, 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 that's, a, that's an ing word. That's unless you're feeding on my flesh. It has this ongoing piece to it, which is interesting. And he uses it multiple times. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I'll raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Ooh, John 15, abiding stuff. As the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not the bread for the fathers ate and died. Whoever, here it is again, feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue he taught at in Capernaum. So we got this transition from eat to feeds, this ongoing thing. And remember, this is is how to become a Christian, okay? So being a Christian starts with initial decision, like we said, surrendered, but here's what he's highlighting. It continues with daily decisions. It's like getting married. You say, I do, once, but the marriage continues with I do on a daily basis. Otherwise you don't have what? A successful marriage. And so this is a very important idea. This is, and he uses the term abiding that we'll talk about in, in a second. But when we talk about how to become a Christian according to Jesus, number one, you must fully surrender to him. Number two, you must continually surrender to him. It's the continual peace that gives you confidence that the first fully surrendered peace took place. Did you get that? So in other words, as you continue surrendering to Jesus, it highlights your initial surrender was true and accurate. It's the parable of the soils, or the soil work. Remember that? Remember the gospel was illustrated by seeds that go out on different types of soil. One soil is just hard as a rock, seeds sit on it, birds get it, gone. Another seed comes over here and hits with thorns, bushes choke it out. Another one comes over here and hits on stone, And the sun bakes it, doesn't work. And then another one over here on good soil, it's what? Bears fruit. Which one was true? Which one was fully surrendered? The one on good soil. Because what happened? The others died off. Not only that, but when you read the parable, and I hope you do, it's on your daily devotions next week, uh, they all said yes in the beginning. They all were like, yeah, we're in. And then what? What? Over time, it showed who was in and who wasn't in. So when we talk about this, this isn't earning your salvation. This isn't earning God's favor. This isn't how to become surrendered 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%. Oh, 100%, now I'm there. No, this is, this is confirming your faith. It's not establishing your faith. The ongoing abiding just highlights to us that God must be working in my life because things are going on and I'll talk about what those things are. Jesus put it this way in John 15. Remember the vine and the branch? He alluded to it here, but he really unpacks it with the disciples in the upper room. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at the converse. If anybody does not abide in me, is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Not gonna last. It's not true. Well, what does this abiding mean? Well, verse 10, he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So notice this ongoing Abiding. If Christ is abiding in us and we're abiding in him, there'll be fruit. If we're fooling ourselves and that initial surrender wasn't true, we're just gonna wither up. And the difference is obedience, keeping his commands, following the Lord, doing what he wants you to do. And as we do that, we build confidence actually in our own lives that our first surrender was in fact true. Remember James talked about this in James 2. Faith without works is dead. So faith, just in a a capsule, without any proof of a changed life, a transformed life, of a life that follows Jesus, is dead. It's meaningless. Go the other way. Works, trying to earn your way to heaven... Without faith, isn't going to work either. It's going to fall short. You think you don't need the cross, you do. And you try to do it without the cross, it ain't ever going to work. Same results. That's why the two are together. Faith and works. Now, there's been a couple things I think that, and this may be a challenging thought to you, because you're a lot of times in Christendom, and this Um, there's this idea that um, if I pray the prayer then I'm saved and those of you that have been around Christendom a while you know what I'm talking about the prayer or if I walk forward at an altar call then I'm saved now This is a recent invention, recent in the last hundred years. Charles Finney is the one that came up with the altar call. He's an evangelist back in the 1800s, and he just used it as a mechanism. He called it the anxious bench. If you're sitting there and you're feeling like you want to follow, get up out of the bench and come forward, and people would come forward. He was an evangelist. He went from town to town to town to town. Nothing wrong with that. It's not in the Bible, but there's nothing wrong with that. But just like any other kind of mechanism um, that we adopt as Christians, they can become the end game and not the process. And so sometimes we'll say, well, I'm a Christian because I went forward at a crusade. Not seeing that part. I'm a Christian because I prayed the sinner's prayer. You know the sinner's prayer, right? I know a sinner prays. I don't know the sinner's prayer, but I do. But you see what I'm saying? And when we bog in the mechanism of it. And at the end of the day, if you're kind of this rear view Christian, that's a very unsecure place to be where you got to look back to a date, to a time, and you can't look at your life right now. Because it's always those who persevere, right? Parable of the sowers. Yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay. Yeah. They didn't hang out. The one that lasted the longest, true conversion. So that's why this continuous thing is so important because it keeps abiding with Jesus if in fact you're with Jesus, but it won't work if you're not because apart from Jesus, like he said in John 15, we can do nothing. So what does daily surrender look like? Well, if you have the Spirit of God in you, which if you ingest and sit at the table of Jesus and do this in a surrendered way, Scripture says he'll give us his Spirit in Ephesians as a deposit and a guarantee. So it's beyond the event. Now we got the Holy Spirit in us, whereas before the meal we didn't. Okay? Now we got the food in us. And that should change us because we're dead in our sins. And if we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, holiness, when it comes in contact with sin, will create all kinds of dynamics. Number one, conviction. We'll be convicted of stuff we used to wink at before. Number two, we'll hunger for the spiritual things we never hungered before. Number three, when we open God's word, our our name's on every other page because it's the spirit of God that inspires the word, speaking to the spirit of God that's living in us. There's a lot of dynamics that take place, but it's just not an event at a crusade that we forget about and remember when we open our Bible and see the date. So you'll start to experience stuff like Galatians 5 fruit of the spirit jesus said if we're abiding in him there'll be much fruit and this fruit looks like this love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ abiding with him have surrendered to him have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, it's not it's not important. It's dead. The flesh is dead. Don't, don't don't try to raise it up. Let it die. And when we do that, then the spirit of God works in our life. So we shouldn't have to look back to a date to prove our Christianity. We should be able to look at our lives now and prove it. Not because we're doing anything great, it's because the spirit of God's in us and working. Just like that food that you swallowed It's in you, and it's working. You're not doing really anything, and same thing, when you surrender to Christ, Holy Spirit's in you, Holy Spirit is working. Can you fight the Holy Spirit? Yeah, you can try. You'll have more tension. You won't get away with it. It's funny, because I talk to people who quote, backslide, and so was I backslidden? Or was I not a Christian? Always becomes the, the dynamic. Because I used to, and then they say this, and then there was this season of nada, and, and now I'm back in, and how do I know on the surface what is what? I suppose the real answer is it doesn't matter, but if it did, it's all about the heart, What was going on with you during this season? Oh, I was loving it, man. I was raising this conservative Christian home, and, you know, I I had flapping my wings. I dug it, man. I was doing partying. Okay. That's very different than I knew better. I was feeling convicted. But because of pressure, I didn't yield to the Lord. And now I'm just, like, kind of done with it. See, those are deeper heart issues that only the individual can discern. But the issue is always, Jesus said, come follow me. Not come pray a prayer, hope you have a good life, I'm moving on. So that abiding piece is super, super important. And this is what becoming a Christian is. It's interesting because uh, uh, my wife and I, we celebrated, uh, um, I can't remember what anniversary it was, sorry babe if you're listening, um, probably 10 years ago I'm thinking. Anyway, we went on this Alaskan cruise and um, the only cruise we've been on, loved it, super fun and uh, if you've been on a cruise, you know that you you know come into the big dining area and you eat and food's part of the deal, right? Everybody diets to go on a cruise, right? So... Uh, It was part of the deal. And then I got a little note underneath uh, the door where the room we were staying in. It said that the staff uh, at church had bought us a private meal, Um, you know, how they have these different restaurants so you can pay a little extra and get special. So they bought us one of these meals and um, to go to one of the, super super fun and, and memorable. I'll never forget that meal, amazing. I mean, it was next level. It was seven courses and all paired with, you know, wines from around the globe. And I mean, and I, you know, we're sitting there and there's literally, no exaggeration, three waiters just hovering over. us, almost like bros, can you leave us alone? Because, you know, they're a little irritating, but it was super fun and memorable and amazing food and we'll never forget it. Now, here's the deal though. In order for us to participate in that and enjoy that, we had to accept the gift from the staff. We could have said, no, nah, that's kind of weird. I don't want to do that. Food's great in the main dining area, and plus all the people at the table that we sit, we become friends, and that'd be weird if we didn't show up, so forget it. Or, you know, I'm not that hungry tonight. Um, you know, seven courses, that just sounds like a ridiculous amount. And, I'm already full from three days of overeating, so no, you know, whatever. The only way that could have effect is if we accepted it. You get where I'm going. The meal that Jesus offers is amazing. Best meal ever. But it's of no effect if you don't accept the gift. It's the most expensive meal you'll ever eat because it costs Christ the cross. but it'll be the most complete waste ever if you walk away from it. The consequences are significant because eternity is at stake. These are strong words. Contextualized to an audience that kind of understood it, kind of didn't. You'll see next week they just all bailed. So they wouldn't accept the gift. So how about you? You dating God? Or have you said I do? Have you fully surrendered to him? And you can see it in your life by a continuous surrender or not? Are you abiding? I'm using all these metaphors, right? Are you abiding like a vine to a branch, or are you disconnected? Only you can answer that, because only you can step into it. Only you can sit down at the table. kind of interesting because when I think of this I've been a Christian for decades and I often think why wouldn't anybody step into this but then I realize it's spiritual warfare then I realize God draws people to himself in his timing So where are you? Well, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Okay. What would make you ready? If you can't define that, then how will you know if you're ready? You may have noticed the flowers. They were from my brother's memorial yesterday. Most of you know, at least I said it, you may not remember, my brother passed away about six weeks ago. So it took a while to get the ashes From Ohio to California. But we have a memorial service for him with the family. And I remember talking to my brother, and, and by the way, it was a, it caught us all off guard. He was making dinner, fell over, dead. He wasn't sick, he wasn't cancer, this wasn't a thing that was being expected. Now, my brothers had a colorful life. Some of you have brothers like that. And let's just say spiritual things weren't a key ingredient on who he was until the last few years. And I remember talking to him. He's going to church. It's like, what? My brother's going to church. He made friends at the church. He got baptized at the church. I'm like, are you afraid to die? Because if there's ever a person that might be afraid to die based on their history, it'd be him. And he said, nope, not afraid to die. Really? Because I'm going, I'm kind of afraid to die. (laughs) Why aren't you? Are you not thinking straight? And he goes, I made my peace with God. He experienced Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So those flowers, for me, represents the grace of God. But he was ready. He wasn't anticipating it. He was cooking a meal. So whatever's putting the pause button on for you, you really need to think it through. The table is set. The question is, will you partake? There's a lot at stake. God loves you. He paid for your sin on the cross, so that you could experience His grace and not God's judgment. If and w- well, when your heartbeat stops and you're ushered into the presence of God. You can have the hope of heaven because you are relying and surrendered and embracing the grace of God through the cross. It's a gift. Not by works, as Paul said, so that no one can boast. The question is, will you partake of the best meal ever? Lord, hmm. We know that we can play games. We know that we can be involved in church and involved with the things of you and and never even encounter you. Uh, We can date you. And Lord, I know you're looking to people to say, I do, because of what you did. You hung on the cross and said, I do, to us. And you just want a reciprocating heart that wants to receive your grace and your sacrifice and I pray for all those that have never done that maybe in this auditorium maybe watching online, maybe watching in the future I just want to encourage you if you're listening to this God is drawing you to himself and maybe you're thinking right now yeah that's me, how does he know that's me I've never met the guy has nothing to do with me. That's God speaking. And he's drawing you to sit down at the table and surrender your heart to Jesus. It's an act of the will, will you do that? If you wanna do that here this morning, and you could do it, you can have this meal anywhere. If you wanna do that here this morning, Make your peace with God. I'm just going to give you a few minutes. I'm not even going to pray a prayer to repeat after just so it becomes your personal time. But confess to God right now, yeah, I'm a sinful person, God. I need to be saved. Thank him for dying on the cross for you. Ask him to forgive you and to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Tell God from this day forward, I'm yours, Jesus, all in. Lord, I do pray for those that have done that, taken a bite. <laughs> Lord, I pray you're filling. I pray that you would give each person that has surrendered their heart to you a big hug so they can sense and understand your presence. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your work and clean house where it needs to be cl- cleaned and encouraged. Lord, we know that this is, this is not a game. This is not uh, an activity. This is eternity. And so we thank you for the availability of that. We thank you that we even have this best meal ever to eat, spiritually speaking. Lord, I know you want it to be the heartbeat of each one of us to share the meal with other people, the good news of Jesus, as well as this church. So thank you, Lord, for doing your work and the provision that you give each one of us, in Jesus' name, amen. Just wanna say that if you did give your life to the Lord this morning, We have a New Believers Packet if you want one of those. It's got a Bible and a couple of Bible study tools just out at the welcome kiosk. Just tell them you want a New Believers Packet and they'll give it to you. The second thing I would tell you to do, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but the first step of obedience or one of the most significant steps of obedience is to get baptized. And all baptism is is a public statement, confessing with your mouth, not literally, but publicly that you are a follower of Christ, and you're going to demonstrate that through baptism. So if you gave your life to the Lord this morning, give us a call to church office. We'll just put you on the licks for the next baptisms. And also, tell a friend. Uh, confessing with your mouth is, is, is good. It's confirming, and it highlights how God wants to work. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.